I, I said last week that this passage of scripture that we're looking at in this series of Colossians, chapter three, is probably one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament because it, it talks to us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what that looks like. And so I'm, I'm just really jazzed about that. Let me, let me kind of give you a little warning as we jump into the message today. Um, I think probably something is going to happen in today's message that during the message, you will think at some point in time, man, I wish, wish um, fill in the blank. I wish my husband, I wish my wife, I wish my kids, I wish my neighbor, I wish my friend, my coworker, I wish they were here to hear this because they really, really need to hear it. Why do I think that's gonna happen in particular today? It's because all week as I've been working on this message, I've thought that, oh man, I, I hope that this person hears that message. I uh, I want to just encourage you to curb that for a second. And when they come to mind, when that happens in the message today, when you think, oh man, I wish they would hear this, pray for them, just say a quick prayer for them, and then turn around and say, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to me? Our tendency is to say, oh, somebody else needs to hear this and, and uh, put it on them rather than to say, God, what do you have for me in that? Um, let's, let's pray as we jump into the message and just pray with me. God, speak to me this morning. Let's pray. Um, Lord, our prayer is real simple. Remove all the distractions and help us hear your voice. Um, God, speak to us uh, individually. Convict us. Um, draw us to you, God. Help us to hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I, what a, uh, just big picture, we're in this series of Colossians chapter 1 and 2, talk about the preeminence of Christ. They really focus on who Jesus is. There's kind of a theological base in chapters 1 and 2 that when you get to chapter 3, it kind of turns the corner and becomes real practical. Um, last week, we looked at the first 11 verses of chapter 3, and I don't think that we can do 12 through 15 this morning without, without kind of going back to the first 11 verses. So if you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, what I want to do is just read those first 11 verses, make a couple of comments of review in terms of from last week, and then dive into uh, verse 12. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God's coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. If, if I do, just do a recap of that um, from last week, the, the, the big thing is some things have to die, right? Not mostly dead, not sort of dead, but all dead. Uh, some things have to die. How, how do you do that? You cut off the supply lines. We talked about that last week, how important it is to just stop feeding that old nature in our lives. 
There's a word of encouragement in that, and that's that our past does not have to be our destiny. Paul says to the church in Colossae, this is how some of you live, but, it doesn't, but you're not that way anymore. Jesus has come in and changed you from the inside out, and so you don't have to live that way anymore. Uh, last thing that I think is out of those first 11 verses, and I'll come back in what we look at today, we have a choice about what we do, what we wear, what we, how we live, what we put to death, what we don't put to death. Um, Paul says, early set your hearts and your minds on things above, and then he says, put these things to death. Those are all choices that we have the ability to make. And then he, he uh, dives into verse 12, and he uses that word that we've heard multiple times. Uh, in Colossians so far. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So Paul uses that word that's been, this is the fifth time he's used it in, the, in this letter, therefore. Whenever you see therefore, what do you do? You look what it's there for, right? There's, there is some kind of uh, causative effect that says, because of what I've just told you, this is what you need to do. So Paul says, because you've put these things to death, here's what you need to do. Um, he says, as God's chosen people, um, remember that he said in, in the verses that we've already looked at, that there is this clarity in the church of Colossae that there's, there's Christians who were first Jews and Christians who have come out of uh, the non-Jewish world, out of the Gentile world. And, and so when Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, he's saying something really significant because those who were on the outside are no longer on the outside through Jesus. In Jesus, we become God's chosen people. Uh, do you remember in junior high, gym class, um, Maybe they don't do this anymore. I was thinking about this when I thought about this illustration. When I was growing up, everything we did, like, you're a captain, you're a captain, pick your teams. Okay, I want this person, I want that person, I want this person, I want that, that person. Um, uh, maybe they do it a different way now uh, to protect everybody's psyche. But there, there was, um, thank you, thank you, little dig there, right? Uh, um, there's, something, there's something pretty cool about having your friend be the captain, and being chosen first, right? And something not so cool about being the last one chosen. But it doesn't matter whether you're first or last. If you're chosen, you're still on the team. And God says, therefore, as God's chosen people, something's coming. Realize that God has chosen you to be his son or daughter. He's made that choice. We respond to that. But he has chosen us. Um, he says, because you're God's chosen people, something's coming. Uh, don't miss this. Our, our identity is not in our job. Our identity is not in our political beliefs. Our identity is not in our service to the community. Our identity is not in our role as parents. Our identity is, um, is not in anything that, in, that takes hold of our life. Our identity is that we are God's 
chosen people. That's who we are at our core. Um, Galatians says that we're grafted in to God's chosen people. To, to, um, God had chosen the Jews, but that he grafted people in as followers of Jesus into the body of Christ. Um, we're chosen. And then he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Holy just means that we're set apart, that we're made holy. Um, if you think about uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, um, 1 Peter 2 says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. There is this sense that God sets us apart from those who do not have a relationship with him. And he says, you need to live different. We're going to get there in just a second. We've been brought from darkness into wonderful light. Um, Peter, again, says he describes us as strangers and aliens. Um, it, it, it's just a remarkable thing to me when I think about traveling internationally. When you, whenever you enter a country, there'll be uh, a line at the, in the, as you enter the country for those who are citizens and then a line for everybody else. And the line for the citizens goes lots faster, right? Um, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Man, don't miss, don't miss this in everything else. God loves you dearly. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no, no matter what exists in your past, God loves you dearly. He made you, and he loves you. He loves your sense of humor. He loves the way that you look. He loves your creativity. He loves your compassion. He loves your attention to details. He loves your ability to work a plan. He loves your ability to work with numbers. He loves your athletic ability or lack thereof. God loves you dearly. God loves you not just for what you've done in the past, but for who you are now. He loves you whether you're 15 or 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or 90. God dearly loves you. Every good thing that exists in your life is because of God. James says, every good and perfect gift is, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God loves you. You have intrinsic value to God, not based on what you do, not based on what you think. He just loves you because he made you. Paul says, because God has chosen you, because you're holy, you're set apart, you're dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, then he goes on to describe a whole bunch of people, uh, a whole, whole bunch of different things. I, I just want to focus on that idea of clothe yourselves. Don't miss this. When you look at that verse, that's an imperative, right? There's a directive, a command that says, because I've done this, because you are a part of my people, you need to do this. You need to clothe yourselves. Um, well, there are things that you need to put on in place of the things that you've taken off that we looked at in, uh, earlier in the first 11 verses of chapter 3. Those sexual sins, they need to be put off and you need to put something else on instead. Those relational sins, you need to put those off and put on something else instead. Realize that clothing, it's such an interesting image to me. Clothing protects you from external danger. Clothing protects you from external danger. If you got the app notes, fill that in right there with the word protects. Clothing protects you from sun and wind and cold, anything that can endanger your physical body. When I was seven years old, 
I have this memory of going to the pool one summer day, spending the day at the pool in the bright sun, and um, and uh, and just being burnt really badly. Late that afternoon, um, I, I went out and had a baseball game, and I sat in the sun again, had the baseball hat on, but had just you know a t-shirt kind of thing. And and I remember that night going to the hospital with sun poisoning. It was bad. Why did I have sun poisoning? Because I had spent so much time out in the sun with my skin, my fair skin, exposed to that bright sun on a a cloudless day. Clothing protects us. Um, You know, when we go out in the winter, if you don't have on a coat and a hat and a glove or two gloves, Gloves are a little harder to put on. They take a little bit more time, right? But if you think about it, if you just imagine right now that it's February and the wind's blowing and the snow's blowing and it's like below zero, to not wear these things out into the elements is crazy, right? Clothing protects us. And so when Paul says, clothe yourselves, understand that that is for our protection, it's going to protect our soul. It's going to protect the way that we think. It's going to, it's going to um, protect us. It's going to protect our head. It's going to protect our hearts. Clothing protects us. Clothing also identifies who we are. Identifies who we are. Again, you can write that down. That's there. Um, uh, you know, if I were to put this on... <laughs> you would forgive me. If I were to put this on, you would know anywhere I, I go, people would know instantly. Who is he? He's that Ohio State fan, right? That becomes clear. If I were to put this on, uh, anybody know what this is? Quickly, quickly. Here we go, right? Red's jersey. Again, that would identify me not as a football fan, but as a baseball fan specifically of Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Reds. Anybody know what this identifies me as? I'll get there in a second. This is a little closer. Um, ah, actually, I'm, I'm putting on the wrong things. My stuff got out of whack, all right? If I had to put this on, what would it identify me as? Cowboy, somebody who's working outside, right? Some of you are saying somebody's stupid, right? Uh, <laughs> ready to go. I'm ready to work outside, right? Our clothing identifies who we are, who we are. Um, okay, Mark, you have to make sure this isn't in the picture anymore because I'm just going to throw it on the floor instead of hanging it up, all right? Um, cl- clothing also displays our uniqueness, Right? It, it says that we're different than everyone else. If I, oh, I forgot that I had the hat on. Um, <laughs> there we go. Um, when I wear Ohio State gear out into the Lansing area or any place in Michigan, it says that I'm unique from everybody else. Everybody's like, oh, there is that Ohio State guy, right? But our clothing can even um, more clearly identify us in our uniqueness. It can display our uniqueness. Anybody know what this is a jersey to? 
soccer jersey. This might help because this is the, the home and away. It's a soccer jersey for Honduras. Thank you. Got a soccer fan somewhere in there. Um, either that or they can read the, what's on the H. There you go. Thanks, Ethan. Good job. Um, when, when we clothe ourselves, it displays our uniqueness to the world. We stop looking like everybody else. And so when Paul says, clothe yourselves, there's a whole lot that's packed into that imagery that's there. What's Paul say? Paul says, clothe yourselves. These are the things that are going to distinguish you as a follower of Jesus. Clothe yourselves with compassion. The, the uh, New Living Translation translates the word compassion as tender-hearted mercy. When you, if you go to the Greek and look at that, it's this heart full of mercy, a heart full of compassion that's there. It's, uh, it's an understanding sympathy that affects what's deep inside of you. Um, it's when you look at someone with compassion, it's not just that you see a need, it's that your heart goes out to them as well. Um, in the Greek, that word for heart is an interesting word. Because you would think that it would be like cardia, right? That's the, the Latin term that's there that describes our heart. But that's not, that's not what the Greeks talked about. When they talked about something that was deep inside you, the word that they used was the word for liver or bowels. It was like this thing that's just inside you. So that when you see someone and your heart goes out to them, when you're concerned about something that consumes you, that feeling that's deep inside you, it's not right there. It, I mean, it is in our culture. That's what we talk about. But you know what I mean? It, there is this churn that takes place. Paul says, clothe yourselves with this churn that, that longs for other people, that takes care of them. Compassion is what happens deep inside of us when, see, when we see the plights of other people and, and see their needs. About 10 years ago, I met a guy named John Hitchens. John Hitchens is a great guy. He's a 20-year um, veteran of the Air Force. He retired. Now he flies uh, commercial air, airplanes. Um, he went through a, a lot of stuff in his life, uh, a, just a bad divorce. He then got remarried, and his wife fell and hit her head and died as a result of hitting her head. Um, and he was just kind of um, alone. As a part of his church, he went at Christmas time to, to deliver gifts to, um, to a group home for people who had mental health uh, issues. And when he went there to deliver the gifts, he was appalled at the conditions that he saw there. Um, he, he looked and there, was, there were holes in the ceilings. He looked in the, 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 the residents there, the people with mental health issues didn't have any privacy. They didn't have any way to hold on to their longings. He understood why so many people chose to live on the street instead of the group home. When they could, because they could control their stuff. And John, John did something amazing. He began to work in this group home. Eventually, he helped take over a group home, helped buy out a group home so that he could create um, conditions that would, that would provide respect and dignity for people who have mental health issues. His Will Homes is, is that concept that exists. He's fought for 10 years to help um, to help give dignity and love, concern and care and safety for people with mental health issues. What drove him to do that? A heart of compassion, 
inside, something happened in him. And he said, I, I can't stand by and let this go on. Clothe yourselves, Jesus says, Paul says, with compassion and kindness. Um, I, I love, Lord Halisham said, kindness is the art of being a deer. The art of being, a, not like a deer that prances, but a deer with E-A, right? The art of being a deer, kindness. Moral goodness is that concept that's, that's there. Compassion has to do with our motivation, what's inside us, deep inside us, in our, in our heart, in our bowels, you know, way inside us. Kindness is how that gets lived out. Kindness has to do with how we interact with people, how we treat others. Um, we, we live in a culture where we talk about doing random acts of kindness, about paying it forward, about those kind of things, and that's all good. But Paul says, clothe yourselves with kindness. That it's not a random act, a one-time thing, something that you think, oh, it's Friday, I need to do a random act of kindness kind of thing. But that our lives are characterized, our clothing, the things that we wear all the time include kindness. What are, what are some ideas for, for how you can live out that kind of kindness? Maybe, maybe it's when you're out and about seeing somebody who's struggling, somebody especially, this, this is kind of where my heart is now as a grandpa. When I see a young couple with multiple kids that are struggling to get through the door, get into the restaurant, you know, do whatever it is, if I can come alongside them and just help open the door, if I can come alongside, help, help put a child in a high chair, man, that's a simple act of kindness, um, giving up your seat to somebody who's elderly that needs that seat when you're in a place where you can stand and give up that seat, maybe somebody who's pregnant, that's, that's something that you can do. Being polite to a worker um, out in the service industry when somebody else has just been abusing them, that's an act of kindness that we can do because of what Jesus has done in us. Helping a friend move. And that, that's an act of kindness. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility. Um, uh, N.T. Wright says, if kindness is a Christ-like attitude towards others, humility is the Christ-like attitude towards oneself, exemplified in the readiness to forego his own rights, which led the Son of God to the incarnation and the cross. Humility is is when we look at ourselves in light of who God is, it's allowing us to see our proper place in the world. It's having a humble opinion about us. A deep sense of one's moral littleness, if that makes any sense. How, how do you live out a life of humility? I think, I think it shows in our speech. When we're clothed with humility, it shows in our speech. It shows in the way that we think about the world around us. For me, uh, some of the things that I wrestle with are uh, in, in terms of how to be humble. It's when no one else is going to notice, what do I do? So if I'm on a plane and I see that little sign in the restroom that says, out of consideration for the next guest, please wipe off, you know, wipe out the sink. Do I do that or not? Do I clean the bathroom at home? Do, do I do the things that no one is going to notice? Do I pick up trash off the floor at work, even if it's not my job? 
Do I return my shopping cart to the island instead of leaving it out in the middle of the parking lot? Do I do what needs to be done, even if it's not my job? That's that spirit of humility that Paul says, clothe yourselves with humility. It's not this self-deprecating, ah, oh, shucks, you don't need to say that kind of thing, um, where we're really saying, yeah, come on, tell me some more. You know, tell me how good I am some more. It's not that at all. Humility is the realization that you are not the center of the world, right? That as much as Jesus loves you, he came to earth to save you, to change you. You're not the center of the world. You're not the center of your job. You're not the center of your neighborhood. You're not even the center of your home. That everyone should serve and cater to you. But because of Jesus, you are here to serve. Clothe yourselves with humility. Um, you know, Jesus is the perfect model of that. The, there's the passage in Philippians chapter 2 where, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, even though he was fully God, he humbled himself and became a man, um, going to the cross for us. Jesus didn't have to do that, but in humility, he yielded to God's desire, God's will for him. For us, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness. Um, we don't live in a culture that values being gentle, right? But, but what's interesting to me is we're drawn to people who are gentle, when you think about, when you think through all the relationships that you have, if you think, oh, that's a gentle person, you want to be with them, right? Their gentleness spills out into everything. Gentleness is really uh, this sense of meekness, uh, of power under control. Um, it's not that they're weak. It's that they choose, they choose to serve and honor and think of others. Gentleness has to do with the way that we interact with people, both in our speech and in our actions. Um, maybe the opposite of gentleness is the phrase, a bull in a china shop. <laughs> you know some people like that? See, as soon as they walk in, it's like everything is going to fall apart. Yeah, everything's going to go crazy. Paul says, clothe yourselves with gentleness. Um, can you be gentle but firm? I think so. Can you be gentle and still hold people accountable? Yeah. There's some times that you have to come on stronger, but there can be a gentleness, a concern for people in that process. Think about Jesus' interaction with the woman with the blood disease, the woman who touched him. Jesus, Jesus didn't go ballistic on her. On her. With, I think with a spirit of gentleness, he said, who, who touched me? And then all of his attention went to her. Think about Jesus' interaction with a woman caught in adultery. There was, I think, a gentleness and a respect that was there, a concern for her um, as the people are ready to, to stone her to death. Be, uh, clothe yourselves with gentleness. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, N.T. Wright again says, gentleness is the effect of meek humility on one's approach to other people. Gentleness is one's approach to other people. Patience is the effect of that humble kindness on one's reaction to other people. 
The first forswears rudeness or arrogance. The second, resentment or anger. Patience is the ability to focus on the people and give them value in terms of your reaction to the circumstances that are going on around you. Um, patience is endurance. It's perseverance. It's constancy, steadfastness. It's this slowness to avenge wrongs. Patience is not the ability to is not the ability to wait, but the ability to have a good attitude while waiting. Patience, I think, at its core, is about the ability to give up control over the, the, to give up the need to control situation, uh, a, a situation. Patience at Meyer is being kind. It's it's standing, waiting in line, realizing that the line that you chose is the slowest one. (laughs) And not getting frustrated by that. Patience. Um, If we truly believe that God is sovereign, that God rules over everything, Patience should not be a problem for us because we should realize that God has something to teach us in that moment. And, and whatever, it's, it, it, whatever is testing us, whatever is causing that trial in our life, God has something to teach us in that. And if we can look to him to say, God, what is it that you have for me? Um, that's, that's what he calls us to. Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And then says in verse 13, Bear with each other. He says, stop your natural reaction to what you perceive as the irritating behavior of others. Bear with each other. Endure mutually whatever you're experiencing. Who's the hardest person in your life to put up with? Um, Everybody has somebody in their family. It's like, oh, man, do I have to spend time with them? When, when we get together as a family, my extended family, family reunion, um, I had an uncle who, who passed away a couple of years ago. But there was always this sense of who's going to talk to Uncle Jack? Because you're going to hear the same stories that you've heard for the last 30 years. And, and once you got started talking to Uncle Jack, Uncle Jack was going to keep talking for a long time. Um, even his kids said, oh man, thank you so much for talking to my dad. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there is this sense, who is it that we need to bear with that really tests us? Paul calls us and says, clothe yourselves with that idea. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. Um, accept their differences. Um, how, how do you do that? Again, let me just talk from my personal life. I've had some people in life groups in, in other churches, not anyone in my life group now, um, but um, <laughs> that, that it was like, oh man, I don't know if we're going to be able to survive this, right? Um, and, and what we found over time was as we listened to their story, as we found out about what was in their past and what had helped them become the person that they were, it became a lot easier to love them and a lot easier to bear with them, with their idiosyncrasies, with, the, with their uniqueness, that kind of thing. Bear with each, with each other, Paul says. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In the, in the Greek, in the original language, language it it carries this idea of a rescue of, or of a pardon. 
when we forgive someone, it's like we, we're not going to hold against them what they've done to us in the moment or in the past. Forgive whatever grievances you may have is, is what Paul says. He says, if you found freedom in God's forgiveness, give that same forgiveness to those who hurt you. Um, this is a hard one, right? It's, it's difficult to forgive when, we, when we've been hurt deeply. And yet Paul says that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. Think about it for a second. Who gets hurt when you choose not to forgive? It's, it's us, right? It's not the person that we don't forgive. They may be completely unaware that you're angry with them. They may not have any clue about that at all. But when we choose not to forgive, it gets inside us and festers. It becomes this infection that's deep there. Um, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to be willing to forgive. Jake referenced Jesus' conversation in Matthew 18 just a, a couple of weeks ago in his message. When, when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? Seven times? Man, I'm good. If I can forgive somebody seven times over the same, same condition. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And if you look at the Greek, there's some, there's some question that's there for whether Jesus didn't really say 70 times seven, 490, or uh, he's, that he may have said 70 times 70. That's like close to 5,000. Do the math, 4,900, right? It's crazy. Jesus said, just forgive and forgive and forgive. And then Jesus went on to tell a parable that, that described what that looked like. He, he told about this guy who owed this astronomical amount of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars to this guy, a, a, an amount that he could never pay back in all of his lifetime. And the guy calls him, uh, calls him in and asks him to pay the debt. And the guy says, I, I can't pay it. Have mercy. And the, and the, the owner, the guy that, that he owes the money to, is ready to throw him into jail. And the guy begs for his life. And, and, the, and the owner says, you know what? I'm going to have mercy on you. Your debt's forgiven. And the guy leaves. And as he leaves, he goes out and sees a guy who owes him just a few dollars, maybe 10 or $20, something like that. And, it, and he grabs the guy and begins to choke him and say, give me the money that you owe me. And then ultimately, he throws him in jail over that small amount until he can pay him back. The people who see this going on, as Jesus tells this story, the people who see this going on tell the original person who had loaned all that money, who, who this guy had borrowed all that, those, you know, those hundreds of thousands of dollars from, um, they tell him what's happened, and he goes rightfully ballistic. He takes the first guy, calls him back in, and says, you wicked person, how, how could you not forgive with what has been forgiven? And he takes him and throws him into jail until he can pay back his debt. Jesus says, we've got to forgive. If we have been forgiven, we've got to forgive. Um, if you think in the big picture, um, if God has forgiven me, if God has forgiven you, if God has forgiven that person who has hurt you so deeply. If God has forgiven them, it's incredibly presumptuous for us to choose not to forgive them. If God can do it, what makes us think that we would not do that? 
that we're greater than God? If God can see past that. I, I'm, I am convinced that in this entire passage that this concept of forgiveness is so critical to us as followers of Jesus. It has the ability to distinguish us by the clothing that we wear in a way that is so different from the rest of the world. When we forgive, it is so counterculture that it draws attention to Jesus in us. Forgiveness is a choice. Just like Paul said, set your minds on things above, your hearts on things above. Put these things to death. We choose to forgive. And I know some of you are saying, Rick, you don't, you don't understand how badly I've been hurt. You don't understand how deeply that thing that happened to me shaped me, it marred me, it scarred me. You don't understand. And, and you're probably right that I don't, but Jesus does. And Jesus has the ability to help you forgive, to help you let that go, to help you give it back to him. Verse 14 says, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The word love there is the word agape that you've heard us talk about before. It's the, it's the love that describes God's love. It's the love that keeps giving and giving. Love is, love is the overcoat that puts everything together. Doesn't matter what clothes you have on underneath, the overcoat seals everything else off from the outside. This is love. And, and when we put on that overcoat, it's the first thing that people see. Immediately, immediately they see, oh, something's different. Something's different about that person. It's interesting to me in this passage of scripture when, um, when Paul writes about this, that there is, there's some things in the language that point to, to this, this concept that love is the thing that wraps everything together, that it points to us individually but it points also to the church as a whole. That love is the thing that unifies us as the body of Christ. That when we're known for the way that we love each other and the way that we love those people around us and the people who have hurt us, that it draws all this attention to the body of Christ in an incredibly good way. When I was a freshman in college, my, my freshman year, I got a very specific Christmas present. It was this London fog coat with a fuzzy collar, if you can imagine me wearing this. Um, I just want to tell you, I was all that in a bag of chips. You know, I, I, I just thought I was the greatest thing ever. I, I, I really thought, you know what, I have arrived as an adult wearing this particular coat. And you know what? I could walk anywhere on campus and people would say, there's Rick Rubel. There's Rick Rubel. He's got that fuzzy collar, got the coat going on. It was a distinguishing characteristic of who I was. I like my coat now much, much better. Thank you very much. Um, verse 15, Paul says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. When we wear the right clothes, we experience the peace of God. We have this protection from the rest of the world. It protects us from anxiety, from insecurity, from uncertainty. Paul says, you were called to peace. God designed you to experience peace, to have this sense of peace. 
So we need to let it live. We need to put on the right clothes so that we can live in that peace. Um, that peace should be a part of who we are as a body as well. Um, that's, I, I think part of what makes church splits so awful is that the, the, that the division that occurs just reflects poorly on who Jesus is. Peace is more than the absence of hostility or conflict. It's the peace of Christ. It's this steadying influence that, that, that we receive because we know who we are and we know who God is. Last thing Paul says is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Live with an attitude of gratitude. When we're thankful, we focus not on what we don't have, but on what we do have and who God is, how he, how he interacts with us. Live with a spirit of thanksgiving. Um, you know, this week I realized that the suit I wear when I do weddings and funerals is 15 years, 15 years old. I realized it because it's my, son, or my daughter and son-in-law's 15th wedding anniversary coming up this week, and I bought it for, the, for their wedding. 15 years old. Uh, um, I got in my drawers this week and realized that I have a shirt that I'm sure is over 25 years old in, um, in my drawers. Um, most of my clothes are probably more than five years old. Why do I have all these old clothes in my stuff? Because they're comfortable, right? The, the, the new clothes are uncomfortable. They itch. They take some time to adjust to your body. When we put on new clothes, there is some adjustment. And what's interesting is the clothes that God tells us to put on, sometimes they don't fit very well, right? Compassion, kindness, goodness, or gentleness, humility, patience. It's a struggle to put those clothes on. And yet Paul says, Clothe yourselves with these things. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. Um, God says we have new clothes to wear. And some, some clothing you have to wear. You've just got to wear. You've got to wear kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. Over everything put on love as the overcoat. When you wear them, you will experience the peace of God. You'll be filled with a sense of gratitude. That clothing, just like the things we talked about, that clothing protects you. That clothing identifies who you are. And that clothing displays your uniqueness. Put it on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for the challenge that you've given us. God, we thank you for the clarity that's here about what we need to wear. Um, God, I just ask that you'd help us, that you'd help us be who you've called us to be and that we would trust that it's so much better than what we think we need or want. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.